America today and all, all around the world, people face trauma on a, on a regular basis. And, and it's one of those things that you can't shy away from. It's not even something that, you know, I think sometimes we do get uh, the mental thoughts of like, okay, when I become in Christ, uh, I'm a Christian, nothing bad's going to happen to me. You know, I'm going to have this great life. I'm just going to speak the word of God and it's all going to be good. And we miss out the, 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 the point of the matter that Adam and Eve made this world flawed. Okay, I'm just blaming you guys. I'm going to talk to you later. But, you know, uh, it's a flawed world. And so we live in a life that constantly happens. And you can't always control what happens to you. But today I want to talk about how we can, as Christians, and we can, as uh, people who are in Christ, really to direct where we're headed. You can't help what happened in the past. But you can't help where you're headed. And so I'm really excited about today. Um, you know, the Word of God talks about renewing our minds. And we're transformed by that renewing process. And a lot of that comes down to us. And so today I'm just going to open the floor. We're going to talk. And um, I hope you get your note, notepads out. Just write stuff down as it's shared today. Because I know that uh, God's really going to speak uh, today on this. You guys ready to dive in? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. And thanks for... Thanks for being, uh, being here. Um, Paul, I want to start with you and just kind of set the stage. Can you talk about trauma and crisis and from your you know, studies and, and what you deal with on a regular basis? Yeah, sure, sir. So on a regular basis, uh, I'm in the field of pediatric care. And so I'm a founder of a couple of companies as well that are nationwide as well as local and regional and have probably overseen a quarter million hours of service delivery to children. So you, as you can imagine, we've seen our share of uh, trauma. Uh, one in five are sexually abused. Uh, one in three couples will violently lay their hands on one another. One in three. Wow. I'm a little surprised at that. Wow. And so I guess before we start the day, um, we probably all instinctually know that trauma comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And in the literature, that's true. And when I say the literature, I just mean the science. I'm always talking about empirically based science. That's the field in which I live and move all day, every day. But uh, inputting that into a Christian faith paradigm is quite interesting. Pre-1950, we didn't know much. And soldiers would just get a slap in the face for being cowardly, for running from battle as they were shaking from PTSD. As a matter of fact, I was at a diner last year I don't know why I did this, but I went to a diner and I sat at that counter all by myself um, on the stool. And an old timer came and sat next to me and he had their own World War II hat on. And we struck up a conversation. And after talking for five or ten minutes, I brought him to tears with one question. I was embarrassed that I asked it because he listened so much pain in this man's life. I said, so do you still have the dreams? And he broke down and he said, you can't believe what they did to us. And this older gentleman, from 1940-something, was already back then. And so, the essence of trauma is that the timeline is broken. That it, and and I'm, I'm really, by the way, I am really interested. Your courage in bringing mental health to a Sunday morning church service is off the charts. I had a pastor say to me, I, I explained, you know, we're having a service, I'm going it's called Omni Belger. I need a couch. I need a couch. I need a couch. Yeah. And uh, his response was, on a Sunday morning. And I thought that was really indicative of where the, the, the church is today. Although, 
you hear it on the news and you hear it on reports, yeah, mental health, mental health all day. Um, and yeah, that's valid. But it, it has to start in churches and homes. Because you have mental health issues. And we know this concretely, this is not even debatable, that mental health is rife in homes where there's upset. Yeah. And where and we know what kind of homes produce the most resilient children. And if you don't know, it's it's homes where there's a mom and a dad. And they've compared this longitudinally against families where there's a single parent or foster home or grandparents care. They compared it against all kinds of sets. You want the most resilient, strong human being, make it a mom and a dad. So when you know, when any kind of entity or agency comes out and says it's all about mental health, yeah, well there's one level underneath that that no one ever talks about, and that's you can start in the home. And then so having you having the courage to do this as a lead pastor in the church is unprecedented. Thank you so much. And then Lamar, you coming out sharing your story is an insane bananas level courage. And I would I would imagine that, that it's almost like a healing when it's all it's telling the story. Um, so there's all kinds of the to answer your question, there's all kinds of trauma. There's matter of fact in the literature there's an adult that might be in a car accident at 42 years old and they're pinned down the kink in the world. And this person has been traumatized one time. There's also another kind of trauma. Uh, and, and by the way, this first kind of trauma that I mentioned is much more easily recognizable and treatable. And then there's the other kind of trauma which is fuzzy, more gray, and that's where a child is chronically abused uh, over a long period of time in their childhood and there's traumatic-like events that they've seen or participated in our world over the course of years. Much more difficult to treat. And so, as we talk about trauma, just know, although the DSM-5 has a list of criteria for PTSD, if I could say there, there are so many other kinds of trauma that they refuse to recognize like developmental trauma. When a child is developing their attachment system to their parents, their caregivers, whoever it might be, and all of a sudden there's a traumatic event, uh, that experience is not recognized in the DSM-5, the, the mental health guidebook that we, that we use and the insurance companies use to reimburse for. So those children are actually not getting services. Or, no, here's where it goes. Can I just get on the soapbox just for a brief minute? Here's where it goes. The couch, they so sent them to us. <laughs> I do need a couch. <laughs> and here's the thing. They're going to send them to me with a diagnosis of conduct disorder or oppositional defiant disorder, which is a crock diagnosis. It's because what that, that's code for, this child has had a very difficult or problematic upbringing. And there's family system issues and maybe even societal issues in play, system issues in this child's life. And then they send them to somebody like me and say, oh, we got ODD or CD going on here. Can you fix the identified patient? I'm like, no, I can fix his identified circle of caregivers and his identified system, but I can't fix a child that's involved in that and then ship them back. It's ridiculous. That's my soapbox. I won't do that again. <laughs> I just want you to know, I know that that's what's going on. Yeah, it's so, it's so big because I feel like, um, and, and maybe there's some out here in this room that's like, I, I haven't been through trauma, I don't know what you're talking about, um, but I know for me and Ashley, uh, when we went through something in our life, we thought it was just it was just a mark in our life, but I didn't realize until I started 
leading this out with you, um, that I've been through trauma. Like, I've been through a situation, so it could be on any level of things where everybody can look at it and say, yes, that was definitely trauma, or it could be something that happened in your life, neglect or abandonment or something that you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that, but that marked me. You know, and maybe you have conversations with your husband, wife, or friends, and they're like, you've changed. Like, there's something different about you. You know, and, and it could be that situation happened to you that, that marked you, you know? Um, so it's huge. I think, I think this is something that we all deal with on a, on a grand scale. And, and Mara, thank you so much for being here and being vulnerable and transparent today. I just know your story is gonna help so many. Um, so would you, would you kind of take us uh, on a journey a little bit with your story and, and what happened? Sure. Um, hi, y'all. I'm that person that will just acknowledge you all here. Um, so before I go into time loop. So um, just have to say, like, you know, going back to Paul, what you were saying, or Dr. Paul, Dr. Paul, what you were saying about how, Mr. Dr. Paul, um, about what you were saying about how trauma will really break that timeline. Um, and just speaking, like, knowing that uh, what I'm about to share is going to be <laughs> what I'm sharing today, I really had to fight to keep myself like in this um, present because it is something that can still uh, register in your body. And I think that's the thing that really is hard for those who have not experienced trauma um, to relate to or they're trying to help someone come through or get through, I should say, um, that it really does it's a, it's a full body experience and you're it's almost like you're you're right there so um just bear with me y'all um but uh i was a i went i studied my undergrad uh and in upstate new york and i was a music student stayed there for five years and uh, i had a real cool community of music artsy weird folks um and i call them all weird because i'm weird and so anyone who's a part of my tribe are kind of weird so it's just you know birds of a feather um and you know i grew up in the church i've been hearing from god uh was always have always had a heart for the lord um but you know when you go to college you're like i'm going to experiment so i had like this whole escapade where i just tried to explore um not saying that you should if you haven't gone to college yet like be smart don't do it all right anyway um so you know in this space of feeling like you know i hear from the lord you know but i can still be cool um there was a moment where uh a best friend of mine actually had taken advantage of me and we were at it after like we had performed as a part of a musical group and we performed and we had a show after um an after party i should say and um just you know when when things get fun I'm just, all right i'm gonna stop censoring um yeah um <laughs> So yeah, there were drinks, there was there were drugs, we were having a good time. I was not doing things that uh, Namara that you see today be doing. Um, but we were we were there. And this friend of mine, we had established our friendship. He was like we were in the same year, um, so maybe three years of friendship that we had established, and so I thought I knew him pretty well. 
um, and he was in a relationship. Um, so it was just, you know, something that you wouldn't expect. Um, but I was not sober, and he thought that it would be time to try with me. And uh, for for about a, I would say like a year afterwards, I did a lot of. Um, I created this coping story that I was like, oh no, like, you know, we were both drunk, we were both, you know, just trying something, and it was silly, and for, but for whatever reason, after the event, I remember, like, um, a friend of mine just walked home with me, and she had asked me, like, what happened, and I just couldn't speak for the entire day. Um, and... So like, you know, months go by, months go by, and even though I felt like, you know, it was this situation and I was being, um, you know, just obviously was not hearing from the Lord, uh, that it was my fault that I put myself in that situation, that I had just had one too many drinks, um, um, trying to make things light. <laughs> Humor is definitely still a coping mechanism for me, but I, I, um, I did a lot of behavior changes, and I didn't know it. it. It was like a slippery slope that happened. So, like you know, after I'd say eleven months or so, I just started. I noticed that I couldn't get out of bed. I knew that I couldn't go to class. I just stopped going to class. I stopped talking to people. I isolated myself. And this was still like a secret thing. And I found out that the same person who had taken advantage of me had also been taking advantage of other women on the campus. And that's when I started to realize that I was also one of them. Um, and it just kind of went completely downhill after that. And. Uh, it became like, I started to become angry first at myself uh, about how I could ever even like put myself in that situation. I got angry at God because I'm like, Lord, I hear from you or I thought I heard from, I heard from you. Why would you allow such a situation to take place? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. Um, you said that your angels would take charge over me. And yeah, I'm here. And so um, I just it just put me into this place for about two years afterwards where I just like didn't trust friends. I felt like even if someone were to try and touch me, I felt like there was something that you wanted. And so if you wanted to try and give me a hug, like sometimes you'll see me on like I do give hugs now, but it was not so free flowing and it was just like not something that I was used to. I didn't want people to be close to me unless I knew and like trusted and decided that this was someone that I was going to trust and allow them to even touch my shoulder. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I think that really, and I was, I was talking because we had a prep talk because I said to Pastor Elijah, if you want to have me have this conversation with you on a stage, we need to talk through it first. So I get through the crazy emotions back then and then I can actually say and sound like a normal human being on the stage. But what I was talking with you last week was um, it's so hard for, for a person and it was so hard for me to really get out of this idea of that I was never going to be whole again. 
and I was never going to be the same person that I could look a man or a woman in the eye and not expect them to want something from me. Um, and that was really, really hard to try and um, do. And honestly, it, it didn't. It didn't change until I started to uh, really address the the behaviors and really acknowledge the triggers that were still living in my heart and in my mind. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Nubia. So, you know, with us, I know this is like we talked about. It, like this is this is a big, big thing for you. This was a mental in your life. You know. Yeah. Um, Paul, can you talk about um, just when we do hit those trauma and we had a conversation about numbing out? Can you talk to us about our coping methods, what we do as humans when we, we hit these points, we don't feel like ourselves and we're trying to make it better? Can you? Yeah, yeah. But I'd like to say, man, that's the right word. And um, you hit every, you hit all the trauma points of the symptoms and recovery. Matter of fact, you, you, you nailed the recovery in your first three sentences when you said, I'm doing my best to remain present here, something along those lines. And if you talk to, if you talk to, um, by the way, great resource for all things trauma. And if you wanted to break down everything that Namora just said, you're going to want to buy the book or the audio uh, of the book, The Body Keeps the School. The body keeps the score. Everything she just said is in there as well as well. The author of that book has been involved in every single watershed study as it relates to, to trauma and its recovery, pharmaceutically, and then the EMDR with the eye movements and memory recall, uh, yoga therapy. By the way, as a side note, yoga therapy is now outpacing medications as far as trauma recovery. And you know what? You know what it has to do with do yoga. Yeah, and you know what? And, and it has to do with being present. And matter of fact, the first thing for a person that's been traumatized to do is to be within their own body and be present. Exactly what Amara said: being present, being present in your body. And matter of fact, this uh, this leading researcher that wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, says this: there is no trauma recovery without some form of mindfulness training. Like knowing where I am. Uh, even when I'm driving, I'm taking a body assessment. Or uh, when I'm sitting on a couch, I'm like, am I really here? Because trauma is, is a numbing experience. And when you've been sufficiently traumatized, uh, I mean, with neuroimaging, they'll put a person in a chair, hook them up, kind of prime them with their story. Okay, tell me how did that smell? What would happen next? And it doesn't take long, and they're in the moment. And the front part of the brain goes black. It just goes offline. The front part of the brain is all, it's my problem solving. It's how do, how do I get out of this thing? It's my executive functioning and tell them what to do. And the other part that goes black is the language centers. Like the person's had a stroke, they can't talk. So now they're frozen, they can't figure out how to get out, and they can't talk. It's more terror. They're stuck, they're, they're, they're in the moment. So, and it even gets, it, and for some folks that have been traumatized, they'll actually, if the trauma is sufficiently horrible, their brain will actually shut off. In, in the same moment when they're looking at the brain, electric, electrical activity of the brain, 
this whole mohawk part of the brain goes black. And this is responsible for self-awareness. And it's so profound that this person can actually stand in front of the mirror and they don't recognize themselves. They just don't know who they, because the brain has shut off at such a depth. That, and, and so out of, out of self-preservation, the brain begins to shut down systems. And so the ability to discriminate, um, this is a friend that's giving me a hug. This is not a threat. It's no longer a friend. The brain kicks immediately, that's a threat, that's a threat. The same sounds that were present during the traumatic experiences, the same smells, the same kind of light, all of that's still there. The brain can't discriminate, it won't discriminate because of the things going on in the brain that uh, you're safe right now. So step one is begin to be present. And that might mean taking some deep breaths and relaxing. Was just, I was just in a room the other day with a 16-year-old teaching the same process, relaxing. Matter of fact, they're doing this with, in the U.S. Marine Corps right now. And these people are just, and these are, you know, soldiers, warriors, killers. And they're, they're experiencing fabulous, fabulous outcomes. It's all about relaxing, getting in touch with that body. Even it means meditating. Matter of fact, um, the same fellow that wrote the book laments, he's sad that uh, churches no longer have this the reciprocal reading, the prolonged music time, which this church has, but a lot of mainstream churches just sing one or two songs and they're done. Chanting is done. But it and, and the reason he, he's sad about that is because it's all about getting in sync with another human being, which is the infant parent experience. Becoming in sync again, this and that, and music is a fabulous matter of fact. It excites the ventral vagus nerve. You could ask any of these musicians and remind yourself, when you're up there doing a set and you're in sync, it's like euphoric. I mean, this is how you guys talk about it. It's like a magical, otherworldly experience. That's that in syncness that you want to get. So when you're here worshiping the, the Lord, it's, I would like to put it in, I'd like to add one more layer to that, that you're with your people, and you're singing, and you're bringing healing to yourself. Yeah. And there's there's nervous systems going back and forth. Matter of fact, this was uh, written about in the National Geographic magazine. There's a talk about systems working that we don't even know about yet. And this is all on a natural plane, but maybe the natural can be supernatural sometimes. There's a small town in Italy in which they walk across the coals annually. Uh, you know, it's a town thing. <laughs> I don't know why they would do that, but they do. So the researchers went there and they hooked up everybody to, to heart monitors and skin sensors and blood pressure, perspiration, all a bunch of biometrics. They found out that of the hundreds of people that they hooked up, that if you were related to the coal walker or knew the coal walker really well, your heartbeats became in sync. Mm -hmm. It goes, yeah, how weird is that? You can find this. Not like no they, way. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of phenomenon that are happening in and amongst each other. I love that you guys are at tables and that you sing prolonged songs, but just know when you're in sync with the band, matter of fact, what you should do, say, okay, 
Okay, I'd be the worst pastor ever. <laughs> if you've been traumatized, we want you to come up here, grab an instrument, grab a microphone, sing, get with the people. Right now. Some way, Ooh, some way. Right this moment. <laughs> some way to get that reciprocal in sync. Matter of fact, when a child's been traumatized, we try one thing. We'll get a big red ball and roll it to them. Step one, hopefully they roll it, roll the ball back. That's step one to recovery. Roll it back, and uh, and then and and but that's the start of. Unfortunately, with the child, you can't tell them not just be present with your body. Like the adult, they have that ability to think about what I'm thinking about. That's what a child doesn't have metacognition. Thinking about how I'm feeling. Thinking about what I'm thinking about. They can't do that. Um, especially our children that are like developmentally autism. Which is the vast majority of who we serve. Traumatic brain injury, shaking babies in here. Um, but with adults, we've got this extra tool. And so, although I want to be very careful about this, and maybe Pastor Elijah, you can, and Marty can speak to this, but in, in Christian faith circles, we love the my answer's coming message. It's right around the corner. But, but the the resurrection moment does not happen without that that death, right? There's a sac a major sacrifice that has to be laid out, and that might be avoiding my message of what I gave myself and getting real with what happened, and that hurts and scary, and I hate it, and I don't want to talk about it, and I don't want to talk about it to my friends. And oh no, here he comes, or some other person that's safer. He, they're going to give me a hug. Okay, I will sacrifice now. I'm going to power through this. And I'm going to relax and give them a hug. I'll take a deep breath. I did it. Okay, it was a small one, but I did it. Step one. That's step one. Okay, so it's like rolling a ball back and forth. It's exposure therapy. By the way, for, for trauma therapy, we're talking about exposure therapy, uh, yoga therapy. Um, and then psycho, psychotropics. And they're actually now experimenting with psychedelics, which is very interesting. Um, because it relaxes the mind. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, so the brain shuts down, it disorganizes itself, it holds memories in one spot, it makes your nervous system think that you're actually in it when you're not, just because you know, the classic example is a car motor backfires and the soldier is all of a sudden back you know, in Afghanistan, because of his associates, and the mind's not able to discriminate anymore. But I would like to know from Mara, do you remember how long did it take with the hugging or touching just your normal family? Like, did, it, did it extend? How far did this extend, this touch? I just got comfortable about a few months ago, and it's been, the incident was four years ago. Could your mom give you a hug? Um, I mean, they gave me hugs, but I didn't like it. And that's the truth of it. And it's not, it's not like I didn't want it. It's just I didn't feel comfortable. Like I just felt like every single time someone would give me a hug, my entire body would lock up. So it's just tension. And then here's, here's my other question is when were you still doing your, your sets, your singing, your theater work? Mm -hmm. And was, what part did that play in your recovery? 
Uh, so funny you should say that. There is a song that I wrote, um, and I don't know if folks know, but I'm also an artist, so um, I put out um, a three-song EP that kind of really spoke to it, because I think last year was really my breakthrough of really starting to see everything that I've been really releasing and relinquishing to the Lord and allowing it to really resonate here and here. Um, because I knew, I think it took me two years to really come to terms with what had happened and then the rest of that was just like that process. But there was a song I've written and a lot of the things that I do I write as cathartic and uh, most of the songs that I put out are um, really speaking to like how God speaks through me, but this EP, Braids, was really just a message to myself. And um, the last song was called Glow Up. And it was just, there's, there's, the lines are, scars left on tissue will mark where they've been. And they stay there to guide me now. I don't mind it. It's not a problem to feel things because now I let them sit. And the following lines are, like, your stings, they burn, that's true. Pain comes to teach, so I learned from you. And the grief that I felt, now it has made me new. So it was allowing that, I did that and wrote, wrote that out and started singing that and singing it over myself, over and over again, because I know that when we speak things out loud, um, especially when we hear it in our own voices, it allows me and allows my brain to process new information and it stays. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an auditory, uh, learner so if I say something out and I hear it then it's stuck in there so I just knew if I kept seeing this one it's music so music for me once I learn a song it's in there I could write a song in a day and you can ask me five years from now and I can still sing it to you so I just knew I wanted to create this this anthem over myself that no matter what thing has come against me no matter what situation has come and tried to destroy who I am and who God's made me, that God will still create a new thing in me and I have this glow up experience. Uh, yeah. That's huge. No matter what would you say to someone sitting here that's maybe in that moment of like, man, I'm so disengaged, like Paul said, like I'm kind of in that numb state, feel that. Um, when we were talking back in the day, you were walking us through this, these things. It was like, I felt exactly what you were saying. I was like, oh my word, yes, that goes blank. You don't actually ask how you, I'm like, ah, nothing there. Yeah. What would you say to someone sitting here feeling that stuff? Your friends are important, and who exactly your friends are important. Um, I had to change my friends. Um, when I moved back into Philadelphia, I had like this whole culture of people, and they're all really great, happy people, but we all have this problem of coping and and when I mean coping I mean like instead of really facing things that were troubling us things that would trigger us into our trauma like we would go and be like okay let's just like blow off some steam and go out and party or let's just go smoke a blunt or let's just go drink martinis until it's 2 a.m. and I'm going to get wasted here and I realized that that was a coping mechanism because I was not actually handling the problem. I was just putting a band-aid on something that was not 
believe that it wouldn't stop bleeding. Um, and so even though I was having a good time, when I'd go home, I'd still be having panic attacks. I'd still be having nightmares in my sleep and I'd still like be reliving this thing. And I realized that I had to start change who I was talking to because I, at where I was, I couldn't. I, I really couldn't do it by myself. So the, the people that I started hanging out, that I hang out with or that I hung out with, I just don't see them as much. And not, I didn't ghost them. I don't believe in ghosting. Ghosting is wrong. Do not do it. Um, it's very traumatizing. Just, that's a whole other thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> it, I just like started to pull away and allow myself to be and live in other spaces. Um, and, and I also prayed to the Lord. I was like, you know what, God, I really need you to send me people who love me for who I am and will love me out of where I am. Um, and I remember specifically there was like this time I went out with like a group of my newer friends and I had gone up back to upstate New York and there was this bonfire that we had. Um, and I, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of like doing quirky ritual type things. So we had this huge bonfire and my friend was like, you know what? I have this idea. Let's just write all of the crap that's been in our life on a piece of paper. We're going to throw it into this fire. And I was like, that sounds dope because I liked watching paper burn. I didn't think about it other than the fact that I just like to watch like it gets like. So I did that. And um, it was in this moment where I was like, oh, maybe, I, maybe this is an action that I can start to write away. So I'm like going from the friends thing, but also now going to like actions that we can do for ourselves. Journaling is great, but also watching something get destroyed is also great. And that sounds weird. So let me go back to the story so you understand what I'm talking about, about fire and the things that I wrote were getting burned away. And, um, and so I wrote my story um, just really briefly and I threw it into the fire and I remember hearing God say, like, imagine this is the altar and you're casting all of your cares. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, I, I don't really know. It was like really, really cool to see just, and, and it was a very beautiful experience because I could see like the sparks literally. It was like a clear open sky, there were stars, it was great. But this, these ashes were just going up. And I just started to cry because I'm like, I'm glad that you, like, that Lord, you provided me with like a new circle of friends in this process. And even in this process of being with safe friends, I can now do an action where I'm really just relieving myself of this. And it's a continual process because that was like two years ago. And, you know, I'm now just getting comfortable with people, like, hugging me longer than 11 seconds. So, you know, it, it is not something that nobody laughed at the 11 seconds thing. Like, dang, no, I'm quiet. It's a long hug. I, that's what I'm saying. We were all thinking, wow, 11 seconds. I've never been I, I mean, my roommate, shout out, she, like, was like, I need to hug you for 11 seconds. And I was like, oh, this is not as bad as I um, yeah, no, but that's something like if you were to ask me to do that two years ago, I'd be like, yep, side hug, and that's for keeping it pushing. So, but those things and like being surrounded with people who want to try and love you in a way 
that pulls you out of your comfort zone because it is that engagement. It's the constant engagement of things that seemed a fear of like a fearful, the things that seemed risky, of things that made you feel insecure, and God showing his faithfulness through the relationships who are around you, that he loves you, and that the people that he surrounded you with really truly love you and want you to be healthy and whole. Yeah, it's a huge, and it brings you back to the scripture we talked about last week, First John 4, 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think there's so much power in connection with people, relationships, uh, reaching out, but it all comes back to us. When we go through trauma and we go through something, it, it comes down to us reaching out, us having that relationship, us uh, doing our part. We talk, uh, this whole series, one of our biggest things is like, hey, as us as Christians, we need to be reaching out to those that we know struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression, struggle with those thoughts of suicide. We need to throw the, the rope of rescue to bring them in because we know the answer. We know what they need. They need presence. They need engagement. They need love. They need to feel that unconditional acceptance and belonging. You know, that's what we do here at Change. We do life together. And we, we, we're very intentional about that. But it comes down to us, uh, really, in that moment of trauma, making those steps. Um, so you talked a little bit about the, the first steps. And what would you say to someone sitting here, like, they want to get started tonight? Uh, what would you tell them? What's the first thing? I would say call Namara. Give me telephone up on the screen. Because uh, <laughs> what you said um, about just staying engaged is uh, really critical. And I'm so, what I'm surprised about is how trauma recovery and anxiety treatment overlap. And there's a, there's a lot of parallels because to the opposite of being treated for anxiety is. And maybe it's about like, everything from like, getting hugged to, ah, I just don't want to go out and say hi to people. Like the opposite of being treated for anxiety is just listening to your anxious and just avoiding more. And the behavior of anxiety gains strength. And it sounds a little weird, but technically and in reality, every single behavior we exhibit has a, an internal strength rating. And so if you are if a person is running from anxiety, anxious moments, anxious things, that is likely to occur at the same rate or even more in the future. So engagement and pressing through is critical to treating anxiety, anxious thoughts, panic attacks. Um, but you're in a dilemma because especially for the traumatized person, what am I supposed to do? Walk up to that person and then just be triggered? You know, and then I'm froze? That doesn't seem helpful. So what you do, if you want to start tonight, is you take it in small, small doses. And uh, one young lady was so traumatized, she couldn't be around people, period. Her brain couldn't discriminate a safe person from an unsafe person, period. So it was a horse. And that horse developed into a, the next was a smaller child, and then the next was an older child, and we worked our way all the way up. Crazy stuff. But you see how you got to graduate like that. Uh, in another theater treatment, like they're showing trauma recovery using theater, and so the person who's traumatized might be on the stage, and 
then I have to talk to you or interact with you somehow as my communication partner, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, step one is to be six feet away from you talking and then moving away off stage. If you want a bunch of times of that, I'm gonna be three feet away. And you can see we're just gonna get consecutively closer. And then at one time we're gonna be face to face, just briefly. And, and, and but the structure of theater seems to be somehow, because it's predictable, it has a discrete start, middle, and end. That's, a, that's safe. Um, so that's that, that's actually showing as uh, showing some efficacy in the literature. Another young man came, and he was in college. He was like a sophomore, junior, freshman or sophomore down at Liberty University, Virginia, and he had. Oh, I mean, okay. So different people had different problems. This young man's problem was that throughout his junior high and high school years, he got all A's. He's that smart. His problem was that he was starting to get B's and C's down in college. This was so disturbing to him. He started to decompensate, cry all the time. And there was probably some, you know, developmental issues like autism or PDD and all this. But it was, because he's rigid like that, it was so upsetting he couldn't even focus on reading anymore. He had to drop out of college. So mom brought him to me and said, okay, so what are we going to do? So we've got some anxiety going on here, obviously. And this is the way out. If you want to start tonight, this is what you do. Step one, be still and know that I am the Lord. Be quiet, be calm. No trauma recovery or anxiety recovery occurs without the human being putting themselves, and this is that pre-resurrection sacrifice, in a calm moment, even if it's for a minute, and relax. And when you do that, It, it, that's when the fireworks start, because the brain, the demons will start to like scream, the thoughts will start to race, and weird thoughts, dangerous thoughts, violence thoughts, hypersexual thoughts, um, all pop to the head, and so you take a deep breath. By the way, you want a great one, square, uh, just Google box breathing, meditation box breathing. Four seconds in, it literally resets the nervous system. Four seconds in, hold for four or five seconds. Four or five seconds out, slumping your shoulders, relaxing. Hold for four or five seconds. You do that for a minute or two, it's like bicep curls for the brain and the nervous system. It's all one big unit. Now, so here's the thing. So for this young man, I said, okay, twice a day. And he's rigid, he's a very rigid person. I said, I want you to meditate for 10 minutes at a time. And I want you to develop, uh, we, we develop some tools. And, and so he develops like a number of scriptures. And I know the plans that I have for you. You know, successful scriptures, those positive, really reinforcing scriptures. And I want you to envision um, when, when you've been in that meditative state for a few minutes, uh, a report card or a grade coming in. And it's a, But only entertain that thought until you get a little escalated and you start to feel the, 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 the rise of the blood pressure. And, def and then defeat that, that report card of those thoughts with the truths. I know the plans that I have for you, I can do all things through Christ. Here's another truth. A lot of people get C's and they, and they do a great job in life. It's okay, it's not the last C I'll get, I'm gonna survive. And so we had to do that. Routinely, he'd been dreaming for like all of two or three weeks. And then he was done. 
and he saw it. And then so we escalated it up. Hold that thought for at least a minute. You gotta see. Oh no, you gotta see. See if you get your heart though. And uh, and then it was a D. And as he got better, you could hold those thoughts and entertain it. Finally, it was like it's just no big deal. So we rewired the brain. So for trauma recovery, that Navara has said in her example and her testimony, the more you can reproduce the event and have a better outcome, the faster you rewire the brain. Wow, that's so good. Can you say that again? The, the, more for, the more accurately you can reproduce the event, but have that positive outcome, the quicker you rewire your brain. So retreating the touch to be positive. Yeah. Retreating the words to be positive. And push you don't want to overdo it and retrigger yourself. So it's got to be in really weird small doses. So for this young man, it was actually like, just imagine the insult. Imagine the offending stimuli in your brain. And that might be what it is for some folks, because because it might be a really weird experience that they had. Maybe they, some people imagine this like surgery and, and the anesthesia wears off, and now and they're traumatized because of that. And car accidents are the major source of trauma. And, and so maybe you just can't or never want to reproduce that trauma. But matter of fact, how many of you are sitting at, at, in the evening hours or when you're relaxed, all of a sudden you're like, what if an intruder was to come to my house? Yeah, we're all there, right? That's the mind automatically doing this. By the way, we know that those that are most likely to be traumatized, because you can put two people in a car accident and pin them both down, and this has happened, and there's record of this. One's severely traumatized and the other's not. The person that's not is the one that is the less naive. Or the one whose brain he has allowed to experiment with those thoughts. What if I'm picked up in an accident? What if somebody comes to my house? So that's your brain actually learning to exercise itself, defend itself. It's not all bad. You know? It's not all bad. Like what if I was what if someone was to do this? What if I was walking around? The more someone tries to block that out and don't think about it which is classic trauma behavior, don't think about it, they're setting themselves up for problems. So if you want to start today, begin with small pieces of exposure therapy, give that hug, meditate on that small thing, but the, you, none of this will happen without getting in touch, taking some deep breaths. Matter of fact, I had one young man just recently wear an eye watch, and he's, he's uh, his relaxed heart rate, and he was a you know, teenager, he's 45 or 50. And uh, he, he, he said I was meditating and I invited in the stimuli of uh, the offending stimuli. What was his issue? Anyway, he said I got my heartbeat up to 80 beats a minute. <laughs> and, then, and then I started breathing and, and applying my truths to it and breathing and I got it back down to 45. So you can wear an eye watch and you can watch your heartbeat go up and down as you do this, which is beautiful because that's what you want to do is, is when you're in that horrible situation, you're like, I got this, I'm all here. And you can practice this all day, like when you wash your hands, you just stick your hands in the water, and you feel that water move in your hands. Don't just wash your hands and get it done because you're on the next thing. When you get in the car, feel yourself hit the seat. Know where you are, thinking about that, taking those deep breaths. You'll see that some people that have been traumatized, they're like, they're 100 miles an hour, they're overactive. They're like, the next thing we're going to do is, praise God, this and this, that. Or way underactive. They're like, oh, I can't move today. I just gotta, I'll try to just watch some more TV. They're hyperactive, hypoactive, hypersexual, hyposexual. 
It's just all over the map. But those are some simple steps. And then parallel anxiety treatment, which is very, very effective, which you can start today. And by the way, that anxiety treatment, we use that on, uh, on children, they, even nonverbal kids. And we can introduce infending stimuli just very briefly. Matter of fact, we had a, uh, he was eight years old, these multiple foster homes, and uh, came to this lovely family who called us and said, look, we had autism, we had traumatic whatever, PTSD, we've got abuse, Drug, this, that. And, uh, and I said, Well, what sets him off? And she goes, We're not even sure. And the teachers don't believe this because at school, he's perfect all day. Gets home and he beats up his sister and his brother and trashes the house. And you can imagine if a child is abused at home and never abused at school, of course, brain's like, Yeah, we're at school. This is cool. Oh, you're at home? Fight. Survive. This, this child was good. So I was walking out of the house during our first intake, and I said, bye. And she goes, oh, oh, oh. And the kid went, ah, like that. Because I pointed at him with a smile and a wave, which his brain said, uh-oh, here comes a big adult looking at me and thinking about me. Wow. And she said, that right there is enough to set him off. Wow. So over the course of months of treatment, we had to, this was really nuanced, so we had to have an excellent therapist that would take daily with him. And when they would see him calm, meditative state and in, her, in, in that, that zone and he would actually look at somebody he'd be like, oh, here, some food, and have some like that. And not even look at it, soft voice whisper. And so the behavior of being calm and control contacted reinforcement. So we were, as, and so we were, and then we would like, we would do this one, ready? Ooh, make eye contact, you know? <laughs> oh, and, and be like, and the behavior of engagement was contacting reinforcement very softly, strangely, and really slowly. And I think uh, his insurance lapsed after about four or six months of treatment. We came back three months later, and uh, mom called us, and she and, and, and we're like, where's the problems? She goes, well, he doesn't have, he doesn't fight anymore, he doesn't thrash anymore. Right? Like, well, what'd you do? She goes, well, we just did what you said, and uh, so we ended services. And the child recovery. It's huge. It's huge. Hey, I, I believe that you know wherever you're sitting here today, I believe that your best is yet to come. And these principles, these things that we put in place, what the Bible says, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. I believe that your best days are yet to come. This is your season to really dive in and uh, beyond just you know looking around, and say, hey, you have a great inner circle here. You know, find somebody to engage with. And be a part of the team, jump into the family uh, of Christ, but just these little things of making those next steps. Paul, would you would you go ahead and pray? Would you uh, find somebody, put your hand on their shoulder? If you're sitting by yourself, go ahead and move. Find somebody, put your hand on their shoulder. I just want to pray. We don't know who's uh, you're sitting by, what they're going through, what they've been through. I just want to pray uh, for them just to find that healing and wholeness. Uh, Paul, so would you just pray over them? We love to be a true. Thank you, Pastor Elijah. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your example of making a huge sacrifice and actually dying so that the resurrection could follow. Father, for the ones on our right and left, we, we give them care and love. And Lord Jesus, help us to engage. Help us to engage in a real way, step by step. Because you care for us. Everyone else cares for us, Lord. We care for us. Thank you for love. 
Thank you for your example. Oh, Father, may your spirit motivate us and may we find the discipline to take those moments aside to actually put into place the things and the tools that you've given us. Help us to love God. Love our neighbor as ourself. And love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for Navarre's courage. Continue to heal and bring fullness in life through the pain and the scars. God, thank you for having me use her next decades of her life. For Pastor Elijah and Ashley. How they're actually doing such courageous, out of the box, unconventional thinking in the Sunday morning. Lord, we help us to think out of the box, Father. Help us to think radically about our lives and what we can do to be that better, more Christ-like person today. Thank you for today, Lord. We go in your blessing in your hand. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Everybody said, Amen. Can you give it up for my Uncle Paul, Dr. Mr. Paul, and Mara for being so brave. I believe, I believe with all my heart that God is just releasing something over today, releasing something over your family. Uh, we're going to be covering you. Obviously, uh, if you haven't, not yet, please download the Change Church app. On there, we have some resources. If you need to plug into therapy or community or life game, uh, life coaching, we have a bunch of resources of some trusted places in our city uh, that you can plug into. But please get help. We always say it's, it's, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And so I encourage you, make those steps. Let this be a series that launches you into healing. Don't stay where you're at. It's okay to know, okay, I'm in a space where it's not okay. I need to go to the next level. That's okay to be there. But you need to take those steps. Please make those motions.